Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 6, 5 to 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and, and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Now we're starting a new sermon series this Sunday entitled Discover the richness of the Lord's Prayer. Now, as I had told you uh, last Sunday, one of the best ways to respond to this pandemic season is to pray. And over the past few months, we had taken time to look through the different parts of the Old Testament, especially the Psalms in leading us to pray. Now, this next four weeks, we will consider prayer as it is revealed in the New Testament. And specifically, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer recorded for us in Matthew chapter 6, which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, many of you will be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Millions in history have memorized it, recited it, prayed it. It is an exceedingly famous prayer. And alongside the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer has a very special place in the Christian faith. When think, people think about what God wants us to obey, people think of the Ten Commandments, right, in Exodus 20. When people think about what, how God wants us to pray, people think about the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith and you're not familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you just heard it. It is the prayer that begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in many versions of the Bible today, you would see that the traditional last line that comes after deliver us from evil, that is omitted. It is the line that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Many scholars today think that line is a later textual addition to the originally worded prayer. And in the ESV, it is actually not included as well. It just appears in the footnote. For this sermon series though, I have decided to add this line in because I'm in agreement with many pastors and theologians that this last line, whether originally there or not, beautifully captures the focus on God at the end of the prayer. Now in this beautiful prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, in fewer than 70 words, we see a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God that could compress true prayer into such a brief and simple form that it can be imparted meaningfully to a young child, yet even the most mature believer is still on a lifelong journey to discover the richness of the prayer. 
And because it is so rich, I'm going to take this next four weeks, I'm going to take time to look and discover what the Lord is teaching us through the prayer. Now, this Sunday, I am focusing on the larger context surrounding the prayer itself. And then the next three weeks, I will focus on the actual content, the actual words in the Lord's Prayer. So what can we learn from the context uh, leading up to the Lord's Prayer? There are four precious lessons on prayer uh, from the context leading up to the Lord's Prayer. And I want to lead you through these four lessons before we dive into the Lord's Prayer the next few weeks. So I'm going to review each of these lessons over the course of the message. So pay close attention to each lesson. Uh, the first lesson is this. Prayer is best learned by those with a teachable heart. Prayer is best learned by those with a teachable heart. Now in Luke uh, chapter 11, we see a parallel account of the Lord's Prayer. It is a shorter version, but it provides a refreshing picture of what was in the heart of the disciples leading to Jesus, teaching them the Lord's Prayer. Now remember that uh, Jesus had called the 12 disciples to follow him. Each of them had enrolled in the school of Jesus. They were his disciples, meaning literally learner or student. So they followed Jesus. And obviously there were a lot of things, right? They were learning, following him closely in ministry. And there were so many possible things they could have asked Jesus to teach them. We could imagine them asking like, wow, Jesus, you could turn water into wine. Teach us how to do that. Or you could have asked, teach us how to walk on water. Or they could ask, teach us how to raise people from the dead. That's impressive, right? And they even ask, teach us to preach like you do, right? You and I might have made those requests, but there's no record of all these requests. And what do we see instead? In Luke 11, we learned that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples, probably a spokesperson for the rest, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And it was only then that Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. So that's the request. Teach us to pray. Of all possible requests, that was the request. Now, I believe the disciples asked that because it, they saw a powerful link between Jesus' extraordinary private prayer life and his character, his teaching, his public ministry. They saw that what was happening in Jesus' private life fueled his public ministry for the good of others unto God. So the disciples, imperfect as they were, they saw that and they asked humbly, Lord, teach us to pray. That was the request. Now it takes humility to make that request because that means you are admitting that you don't know how to pray. Now many times uh, we think we know how to pray because we've done it so many times before. In one sense, yes, prayer is simply our conversation with God. Yet deep down, the humble man and woman of God always has a spot in his or her heart that says with childlike faith, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's the best posture for anyone learning to pray. It's a, that's a teachable heart. Whether, whether you are a young boy or girl in agape land, right, in our children's ministry, or whether you are a cell leader, a ministry leader for many years in agape already, we all should be able to make this same request. Lord, teach us to pray. Now listen carefully, church. When you have a teachable heart, that's where the best learning takes place. When you come to the place where you're asking, Lord, I have some sense of what it means to pray, yet I still don't know truly. 
teach me. Now that's the place where you are truly ready to learn and grow in prayer. So when the disciples made the request, Jesus offered them a beautiful example of a prayer. But note this, the Lord's prayer is not meant to be treated as the only way to pray. It was not that those were the only words they could ever use in prayer. Jesus did not intend this to be the only prayer. In the same way that a teacher who shows his students a model essay in class does not intend that to be the only way to write an essay. No. When you consider the New Testament, you will see that the apostles get it. They prayed a variety of prayers and there was no sign that they just repeated the Lord's prayer or any other prayer for that matter again and again. Now here in Matthew 6 verse 9, Jesus makes the intent clear. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray then like this. Pray then like this. Literally it means fast therefore. And it carries the meaning of along these lines or in the following manner. Now what does this tell us? It teaches us that Jesus' desire in teaching prayer to his disciples is not just that we say our prayers, but that we become ourselves a people marked by prayer. The focus is not so much the specific prayer we say each time, but that we become a people who pray. You and I become the prayer, so to speak. And that's what I sense from the Lord during this pandemic season. That's why we're talking about prayer again and again. The Lord desires us to become a people of prayer, for His church to become a house of prayer, as Pastor Nan was saying just now. A people who embrace the spirit of prayer in our prayer lives. Now, how do we get there? And to get there, we must begin right. Thus, we need to cherish this first lesson. Prayer is best learned by those with a teachable heart. And now for the second lesson. And this, for this lesson, we get this directly from Matthew chapter 6. The second lesson is this. Prayer is not meant to be a performance. Prayer is not meant to be a performance. Now, this is a very important point. Before Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, He spelled out very carefully the pitfalls of prayer. And He taught His disciples what not to do, how not to pray. And this admonition is this, don't treat it like a performance. Now he says so because this is a very real danger for prayer. That's how the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day were behaving. They did it to be seen by others, to impress people with their religious piety. If you look closely at Matthew chapter 6, and that, this is where it's so helpful to have a physical version of the Bible, right? If you take a look at Matthew chapter 6, if we just glance right, at, at your Bible and see the larger context, you would see that this portion of the Lord's Prayer is sandwiched between two other passages. Jesus was teaching on giving to the needy, right, and then there's this portion on prayer, Lord's Prayer, and then another portion on fasting. And in all of these three areas, he was unmistakably making the same point. He was emphasizing that all these acts are not performances. Don't do it for the purpose of letting others see. So when you give to the needy, don't give with the intent of practicing your righteousness before people, right? That's what Jesus said, so that you'll be seen by them. When you fast, don't intentionally look gloomy so that people can see that you are fasting and admire you. And when you pray, don't do so with the intent of getting seen by others and being praised by them. In a nutshell, all these things that you do, 
including prayer, it is not a reality show where you are the celebrity. Prayer is not meant to be a performance. It is something that they're doing sincerely unto the Lord. Now look closely at verse 5 again. Verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Now Jesus is referring to the Pharisees. That's literally what they did. In their prideful, self-righteous minds, that's the right standing they desire the most. To stand visibly among others so that they will receive acclaim from the community. Jesus says, ironically, they have received their supposed reward, which is the praise of men for the sake of their own vanity. And the word Jesus uses is peculiar. You know, he didn't say, when you pray, you must not be like the Pharisees. He says, do not be like the hypocrites, right? Even though he's referring to them. Now, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Now, this term hypocrite is drawn from the culture of Jesus' day. A hypocrite was someone who engaged in drama, in theater. He was play acting. So it's actually not real. So the original meaning of the term, interestingly, had nothing to do with sincerity per se. Now today, we don't say actors and actresses are hypocrites or insincere for playing a particular role. But during that time, Jesus applied that word hypocrite to mean people who are going through the motions of praying as though they were acting. They're making a great external show of piety, but inwardly, that's not how they think or feel. So it's a fake godliness. And the Pharisees were really, really good at that because prayer for them was like a business. So they were fond of making a public display of their piety. Now listen carefully though, because it can be easily misunderstood. This does not mean that we should never have public prayers you know, or public giving or public fasting because Jesus himself, right, for prayer, he did so. For public praying, remember, Jesus feeding over 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. He took the five loaves, he broke it, and then he looked up to heaven and he prayed. And then he said a blessing. Everybody saw that. That's a public prayer from Jesus. It's acceptable. That's why we pray publicly in church. That's why we lead prayer publicly via live stream in the morning. Jesus is not denouncing all public prayer. He's denouncing prayers that are done publicly with the intent to impress people for self-glory, for vainglory. That's not the prayer that is pleasing before God because that is no longer true prayer, but an act. Now, some of you may be thinking as you listen to me, it oh, doesn't affect you because you, know, you don't have a position like a pastor, you're not an elder, you're not a leader in church that requires such public prayer. But I tell you, your prayer as performance, this mindset, prayer as performance, is more deeply seated in many of our hearts than we think. I recall when I was a young Christian, whenever we are in a group of a uh, few people and we break up into prayers, my heart would start beating very fast. <laughs> I would be so scared of praying with people I don't know. And when others went first, in my mind, I wasn't even paying attention to what they're saying. I was just rehearsing in my mind like what I would say when my turn came. And then when my turn came, I needed to make sure my words sounded right. Now when I look back, I know what that was. The public nature of that prayer setting made me so self-conscious, so much so that I regarded prayer as a performance that I had to ace. I was so scared people would judge me. 
you know, for my poor prayers and the words were not eloquent, the words were not good. Now, I didn't actually need a leadership position to act like a Pharisee. I naturally gravitated towards acting like a hypocrite. I put on an act as an actor because I was more concerned about the approval, the affirmation, the claim of others than actually talking to God in prayer. Now, Jesus is teaching us that in Matthew 6. Take prayer out of the performance bucket. Take prayer out of the performance bucket. And that is a precious lesson that is vital for deepening prayer in our lives. Now, this principle of acting is more than just a public thing, though. It can even, even slip into our private prayers. Last Friday for Cell, many of you attended this webinar, wonderful webinar by John Horry on praying or prayer during cell. And he made this really insightful point. I'm not sure if you remember this. He said, don't come before God as holy avatars. Right? Don't come before God as holy avatars. A holy avatar in private is still hypocrisy because it is not real. That means, for example, if there's something burdening you, bring it before God. If you have a lament, if you have a longing that is crushing you, bring it before God. Don't just push it down and just say the right things in your prayer in private. Don't come as someone mouthing all the right things before God, but your heart is not in it. So if prayer is not meant to be a performance, how should we pray then? Now, Jesus teaches us explicitly. This is a contrast in verse 6. He says this. Take a look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now here, Jesus is definitely distinguishing between private and public prayer. But listen, it is more than that. He's also making a distinction between what is in the heart. He's always after the heart. He's making a distinction between what is hypocritical acting versus real expression. The hypocrite likes to or is willing to pray in public because he receives his reward through acclaim, through approval. But what motivation would a hypocrite have for private praying? Very little, actually. So who would be motivated to pray in private? It is the one who has discovered the joy of letting the real you meet the real God, as you've heard so many times this past few months. Now, this is not just a truth we learned from the Psalms in the Old Testament. And I'm bringing it to you today like this because I want you to know that's what Jesus teaches as well. Jesus himself, who loved the Psalms, who prayed the Psalms, echoes the same thoughts in this teaching. Praying is not meant to, not meant to be pretentious. Not you as an actor trying to meet a concealed God in mysterious secrecy. But the real you meeting your revealed Father in sweet, private intimacy. That is prayer as Jesus teaches it. A genuine meeting of hearts between the human and the divine. God created mankind in such a way that some of the most intimate relational connections in life are meant to be done behind closed doors in secret. Now let all of us who pray in public keep this in mind too. It is the spirit of genuine intimacy in private prayer that gives rise to heartfelt sincerity in public prayer, just like our Lord Jesus Christ. What is done in private fuels what is expressed in public ministry, public prayer. 
minus our private prayer lives, public prayers would inevitably feel like a show. You know, it's like you're really intimate in conversation with someone in private, but then in public, you just have to suddenly behave as though the two of you are very close, right? It's an act. Now, the solution is not just to back off from public prayers or prayer with others, but to deepen our own private prayer lives. And you know what? Jesus wants to encourage all of us who are his disciples. He actually says such private prayer is rewarding. It's rewarding. Jesus says in verse 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now that means such non-performance oriented prayer is rewarding. Now the reward of prayer, this reward of prayer is definitely different from the rewards of performance, but it's definitely a superior reward. Now, Jesus does not specify in this passage what the reward is. But from the totality of Scripture, everything the Bible says, we know that this reward given by grace must be tied to God Himself and our experience and enjoyment of Him both in this lifetime and beyond. So Jesus is teaching His disciples, when you pray, don't come before God with a performance mindset. Come just as you are, however messy, to meet God your heavenly father, and trust Jesus. It's going to be a richly rewarding experience. It will be richly rewarding in ways that Jesus doesn't even want to spell out in this passage. He wants you to trust him and find out. Lesson number three, prayer is not about technique for results. Prayer is not about technique for results. Now, I mentioned earlier that this passage on prayer is sandwiched between the passage on giving and fasting, right? And then there's a similar message for all three passages. Let not your doing to God be a matter of performance. But you know, for this particular passage on prayer, Jesus adds something else. He adds something that he does not for giving and fasting. And he doesn't just talk about the hypocrisy. He tells them here not to do what the Gentiles would do. Now, Gentiles mean the non-Jews, and in Jesus' context, he was referring to people who did not worship Yahweh. And he tells his disciples in verse 7, take a look at verse 7, don't be like them, heaping up empty words, thinking they'll be heard for their many words. What Jesus is teaching about prayer is that prayer is not about technique for results. We see that in the pagans of old. They will keep on repeating the names of their gods or the same words over and over again. And the belief is that that will secure a result for their prayers. Now, remember the few hundred prophets of Baal, Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18? They were challenging the prophet Elijah to see whose God was greater in calling down fire from heaven. And these prophets of Baal, they were continually repeating, Oh, Baal answers, oh, Baal answers from morning to noon. They were treating it as a technique to get a result. And they were limping around the altar and even cut themselves with swords and lances until blood gushed out, right? adding on to the technique. They were precisely doing what Jesus is warning us against in today's passage, heaping up empty phrases, uttering useless, purposeless words. As I said, their thinking is that a certain technique of praying would secure a desired result. And Jesus is saying, don't learn from them for prayer to God. Don't be like them. Now, Jesus is not saying we cannot come before God with earnest repetition that flows from the heart. Some of my most earnest prayers have really literally just been repetitions of please God, please God, 
with mucus and tears all in. That's all I could say at that moment. And that's all right. The Lord hears it. What Jesus is against is mindless mechanical repetition, like a chant, right? That you think secures a desired result in prayer. You say it a number of times. You say it long enough. That's not how it works. And again, some of us may be thinking immediately, that's not me. I don't think like that. I'm okay. I don't treat prayer like that. Now, it's actually really, really helpful for us to pause and think carefully. Because if it's a really a very far-fetched thing for Jesus' disciples to do so, he won't even bring this up. Like, it's so obvious. We don't pray like that. It's a totally different uh, thing altogether. right? We don't do that. No. The reason Jesus brings this up just before he introduces the Lord's Prayer, because this is a very real danger, even for people who claim to be following him, people who claim to be Christians. We all have a tendency to think of prayer in terms of finding a technique for results. Now consider those who have been disillusioned with prayer in their lives. Now many of you know uh, Ravi Zacharias. He recently went home to the Lord at the age of 74. His wonderful evangelist, his ministry has been such a blessing to so many people, including myself. I'm very thankful to him for his teaching and guidance. Heard many of his podcasts and very blessed by it. Now, in his ministry, he met many, many, many people, including those who were disillusioned with prayer, who felt that Christianity had failed them. Let me share one such account with you. One time, Ravi was uh, sitting with a man in his car who was talking about a series of heartbreaks he had experienced. And this man who had renounced the Christian faith. He said frankly to Ravi in conversation, he said, there were a few things I had wanted in life. None of them have turned out the way I had prayed. I wanted my parents to live until I was at least able to stand on my own and they could watch my children grow up. It didn't happen. I wanted my marriage to succeed and it didn't. I wanted my children to grow up grateful for what God had given them. That didn't happen. I wanted my business to prosper. And it didn't. It didn't happen. Not only have my prayers amounted to nothing, the exact opposite has happened. And then he told Ravi this. He said, don't even ask me if you can pray for me. I'm left with no trust of any kind in such things. How would you respond to that? Have you ever felt that before? It's like a been there, done that, tried it, didn't work. Now, if we were to be honest with ourselves, though we may not say it to the same degree, many of us as Christians have probably experienced some element of it, some element of this disappointment before. There are many things we pray for and others join in, right? We get others to join in and the exact opposite happens. And then we feel this tension within our hearts. What's happening? Why is it like that? Does it make a difference whether we pray or we don't pray? And then yet in the end, we still find ourselves, many of us returning to prayer again. Do you know what that is? Now the world will look at us and say, that is scientifically foolish. Doing the exact same thing again and again, but expecting a different result. Now, but this is where they get it wrong. Prayer was never meant to be a scientific lab experiment to get the desired results. Prayer is about faith 
in the one whom we have a relationship with. In John chapter 6, after many in the crowd were disillusioned with Jesus and had chosen to leave him, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them, Do you want to leave too? And Peter's response is the response of every genuine believer today. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, church, for all of us who have persisted in prayer, even when we have felt disappointed in prayer, this is what happens. We have been graciously brought by the Lord to experience through discovery the truth of Matthew chapter 6. Prayer is not a technique to get what we want, even if it's good things. Prayer is the irrepressible cry of the heart at the times we most need it. You know, in this story with Ravi and the man disillusioned with prayer, Ravi gave this reflection. He says, for every person who feels that prayer has not worked for them and has therefore abandoned God, there is someone else for whom prayer remains a vital part of her life, sustaining her even when her prayers have not been answered the way she desires. You know why? Because her belief and trust is not only in the power of prayer, but in the character and wisdom of God. And that's the kind of prayer Jesus teaches, where even prayer does not end up becoming the focus of prayer. Prayer does not end up becoming the focus of prayer. God himself is the focus of prayer. For if prayer is the focus of prayer, you know what will happen? You will stop the moment it feels like it's not giving what you ask for. But if God is the focus of prayer, then you would continue to pray. And as you pray, you would grow in faith, saving faith. Every outcome of your prayer to God, whether it's a yes or no or wait, all three will work in perfect triune harmony in your life, seeking after your good and contributing to the endurance of your saving faith. Now, church, let me stress this. Prayer to God is never, ever pointless. Never, ever pointless. Nobody likes a no for an answer, but I tell you this in com with confidence. The answer no from God in response to your prayerfulness, in response to your prayer, is poles apart from nothing happening from your prayerlessness. Poles apart. It is as different as the day is to the night. When we think of prayer as technique, we would naturally find ourselves thinking, we prayed, we looked, nothing happened. Might as well not pray. But when we think of prayer as relating to God, and he responds, whether yes, no, or wait, it's actually never the case that nothing happens. Even if it's a no, a no from God has happened. And we can trust that God's no will do all the good that God has released it to do, which includes changing our hearts for good. It's because Jesus knows that's how prayer works that he would say in verse 8, look at verse 8, do not be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't pray like them. They got it wrong. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Listen carefully to that. Jesus is not saying, he's not just saying God knows all the things in this world and is infinitely wise, you know, in verse 8. Think about it. Whenever we say that 
so and so, right? Say so and so in agape knows you so well. He knows whatever you need even before you ask him. We're not actually emphasizing his brilliance, you know. We are emphasizing his relationship with you. He knows you so well, even before you ask, he already knows. And that's what Jesus is stressing. It's not just that God, God knows all things, right? It's that God knows you. Prayer is relational. He knows you. He knows what is in your heart and he longs for you to know him, what is in his heart. Prayer is relational. That's why in Matthew 6, Jesus keeps referring to God as Father. I'll go in depth uh, regarding this next Sunday. But clearly at this point, we know that this is the lesson for us. Prayer is not about technique for results. It's about communication for an ever-deepening relationship. Fourth and last lesson. Prayer is an invitation to enjoy the relationship with God that Jesus has secured for you. Prayer is an invitation to enjoy the relationship with God that Jesus has secured for you. Now, many times, times when people think about prayer, they immediately think of it as something they need to do. And yes, it is. We need to pray. Do something, right? Praying. And yet, when Jesus teaches prayer here in Matthew 6, he reveals to us that prayer is first and foremost actually not about what you need to do, but an invitation to enjoy the relationship with God secured for you by Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Look at what Jesus said again, right? Refresh your mind. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. That means don't rely on your performance. Then he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't rely on your technique. In the former case, performance is to seek man's approval, right? Performance is to seek man's approval. In the latter case, technique is to seek control over your life, right? I pray a certain way I can get control, right? What you desire. And it's only after Jesus says, don't seek approval through performance in prayer. Don't seek control to technique in prayer. Then he says, pray them like this. Here's the Lord's prayer for you to pray. So you ask yourself, who can pray the Lord's prayer then? Strictly speaking, the one who is not seeking approval from others in prayer and the one or the one who is not seeking control over life in prayer. Right? The one relying neither on performance nor technique. But the problem for humanity is this. None of us is able to do that, actually. All of us belong to the category who are guilty of praying wrongly. Left on our own, when we try to pray, what, come, what is in our heart come out? We end up praying wrongly in this self-absorbed, self-seeking way. On our own as human beings, prayer actually doesn't work. We are not able to approach God with our prideful selves. So what does Jesus do? He does not leave us alone. Jesus invites all sinners to come before God's throne of grace in prayer, not through performance, not through technique, but through his name. You see, the name of Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, that's the name of our covenantal God. He saves. Whenever we close in the name of Jesus in prayer, it is a reminder to us we can pray because Yahweh has saved us through Jesus. In Matthew 6, we see Jesus warning his disciples of what is, what is in all our prideful hearts. 
self-righteousness. And Jesus is saying self-righteousness and prayer, they can't fit together. Self-righteousness and prayer don't fit together. Self-righteous sinners can't have a relationship with a holy God. So how can we have a relationship with God? 1 Peter 5 and James 4, it says the same thing and we learned this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The only way any one of us can come before God's throne of grace in relationship with Him is if we humble ourselves, confess our self-righteousness as sinners, and declare our need for Jesus as our soul righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we actually sang it just now. Paul says this about Jesus. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Church on the cross, that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself to rescue us from our destructive self-righteousness, which prevented relationship with God. And he gave us his life-giving righteousness, which enabled relationship with God. Self-righteous sinners could never enjoy meeting God in prayer. But we can when we acknowledge that Yahweh saves when our prayers are offered in Jesus' name. Prayer is not first and foremost about what you do. It is an invitation to a relationship with God made only possible by what Jesus has done for you. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Let me take a, just a moment to address those of you who are watching this live stream who do not profess the Christian faith. I do not know you specifically. But if you're watching this and you've never identified as a Christian, I say to you, give your life to Jesus today. Give your life to Jesus today. Surrender your need for approval and control to Him. Pray and tell Him that, that you will lay down your self-righteousness and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ for you. And when you do that, your prayers become totally different because you're in a relationship to this God. In Jesus' name, come before God's throne of grace and enjoy the relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's my cry for you. That's my prayer for you. Now, if you are a long-time believer, you may be wondering how you can grow further to be such a man or woman of prayer as Jesus intends for you. Because as you hear me, you may be thinking, you look at your own prayer life, right? What's happening in private? It's a mess. There's a part of you that still feels prayer is like a performance or you treat prayer as a technique to get things. And some of you may struggle with words, or you just have very little motivation to spend time praying. Now, if that is you, let me encourage you with this thought. Many people have noted how interesting it is that this particular prayer is remembered as the Lord's Prayer. When strictly speaking, it is the disciples' prayer. Now note that this is not the prayer that the Lord prays himself. For example, he wouldn't need to say forgive our debts, right? forgive our sins. This prayer is meant for the disciples. Yet as I thought about it over the course of this week, I actually find it very comforting that it is called the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us every time we pray, the Lord Jesus himself also prays for us. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter a spiritual reality that Peter is unaware of. He cannot see it, but Jesus saw it and he told him. He says to Peter, 
Satan demanded to have you, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now this pandemic season, Satan is at work too. Satan demands to have you, to sieve you like wheat, signifying great trials. And what is Jesus' assurance? He doesn't just say, oh, it's okay, no worries about it, all will be fine, no. He actually says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In Hebrews 7, we learn that Jesus who prayed so much in his earthly ministry, what is he doing still in heaven? Hebrews 7, 25, he says, he saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, us who are praying, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This means Jesus is still praying for all of us. Now, there may be a prayer that you really, really should be praying, but you don't know how to pray or you lack the motivation to pray. Now, take heart this day. The Lord is praying that prayer for you. Whatever you cannot do, the Lord has graciously done for you. But consider how you're carrying your tiny crosses as God has called you to, as Christ has called you to. But He carries the greater cross that He knows that you cannot. And how you're offering your feeble prayers before the Lord. But He prays the mighty prayer that He knows that you cannot. Remember the Lord's prayer for you. He hasn't given up on you. He's still praying. He is praying that your faith would not fail. That you would become the man or woman of prayer as He has intended for you to be when He first called you by name to follow Him. He's praying for you. Now, if you hear Him calling you through this sermon, Turn back to Him in prayer and love this very day. Now, before I close, I have got two quick applications for you that you may be able to apply this word. God calls us to be not just hearers, but be doers of the word. Two applications. Immediately after today's service, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord in prayer. You can do so alone if you're alone. But if you're in family, do so with your family. Now first read this portion on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, including that asterisk portion, yours is the kingdom, glory for, uh, forever and ever. Amen. Right? And, and then tell God humbly in prayer to teach you all to pray, to deepen your prayer life. Right? Tell God humbly in prayer to teach you all to pray, to deepen your prayer life. And the second thing is this. This week, every day, intentionally set aside time to enjoy God in prayer. And in that prayer time, include the Lord's Prayer. Meditate on the words in the prayer. Prepare your heart for the next three Sundays where I will lead you to discover the richness of the prayer. All right? Make a commitment towards that. Let's close in prayer right now.